Always that third step you got to watch. <laughs> good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Good here today. It's good to have some visitors, some returning, some new. It's good to have George Harrison with us. <laughs> there aren't many other uh, congregations in town that can say that. But uh, seriously, uh, hopefully we all love each other and if there's place we can truly be ourselves and ought to be among families. So thank everyone for being here. This month is going to be a month of heroes here at Lindsley Avenue. Uh, we're going to study several heroes from uh, the Bible and we're going to have two ladies and two men. And the first hero we're going to start with this morning is going to be Miriam. Miriam, the sister of Moses. Uh, the still picture that you see there is from uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, with Charlton Heston. So obviously that must really be a picture of Miriam from 3,500 years ago. I don't think I could picture anyone else as a child of Miriam other than who was in the Ten Commandments movie. And if it's been a while since you've seen the Ten Commandments movie, then I would like to encourage you to try to find a way to watch it. It runs seemingly 10, 12 hours long. Uh, it's a long movie. And for the longest time when that would come on television, I would only ever see part of it because it came on Sunday nights and we were going to services Sunday nights and so I had no idea really how it started, it seemed, because we would always pick up. And then by the end of it, it kept going and going. I would never see quite the end of the movie because it was bedtime for me as a little kid. But I'd like to encourage that. So we're gonna be studying Miriam as our first hero for this month. The verse that Phil read for us earlier from Numbers 26, 59, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. Uh, first of all, let me say that the Orthodox Jewish uh, people today are very much of the opinion and belief that uh, Amram, uh, uh, Jacobed rather, is not the actual daughter of Levi. They believe that that's more uh, parent, uh, great-great-grandchild kind of relationship. And the reason they do that is because if you enter Egypt with about 80 people, that was roughly the number of people that came down to Egypt from Canaan when all of Joseph's brothers came down. If you have roughly three generations, it's very difficult to get to 600,000 or so men leaving where they are the grandchildren, if you will, of the people who came in. Uh, one of the reasons Jacob is so... People are so amazed sometimes at Jacob it's because he's got 12 children. Well, if you do the math with 80 people and you end up with 600,000 men who are grandchildren of the 80 people that came in, you end up with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of children each, which is hard to imagine. Uh, but again, that's really not the point of this, but I've known some people that get really fired up uh, over simply that. They're in there for 285 years, the 400 years that you hear sometimes includes the time that uh, they are in Canaan, according to Paul in the book of Galatians. So it's tough again to have just three generations in it, but that's an aside. Amram and Jochebed had three children. Miriam was older than Moses, it appears Aaron was too. How do I know Miriam is older than Moses? Well, as we see in the verse coming up, she's watching over the baby Moses floating in the river. So she had to be more than just a day or two old if she's doing that. 
Moses appears to have been the baby of the family. I don't know that I've ever thought of Moses being the baby of the family, but he appears to have been the youngest child, the youngest child. Let's look at Miriam more closely here this morning. We first pick up with Miriam here in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, you say right there, every mother's going to believe that. My child is a fine child. She saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she looked, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, why is she having to hide this child, this child Moses? The Pharaoh that had come into power had become concerned at the rapid continued growth of the population of the people of Israel in his land. And he had put out a decree, similar in some ways to the echo we hear from Herod putting out the decree to kill male babies. And so she hides him for three months, but it just became more and more difficult to hide a growing baby boy who would have been under that sentence to have <coughs> death put upon him. I mean, midwives are supposed to kill the baby boys. She hides him, and when she can't, she decides, I can't keep him inside this house any longer. We're going to float him out in the, the weeds, the, the, the stuff near the edge of the river. But she didn't want just to push him out of the river and wander in. Oh, there he goes. She had his sister watching to see what would happen. His sister's obviously an older sister. We don't even know her name here at this point, but it is Miriam. First question. You notice the uh, handout has all this on it. It has a couple of blanks. Where is Miriam at this point? She's wandering around in the, the weeds of the bank of the river. Do you know anything about rivers in Egypt? Were they really safe places potentially to go hopping in there and wading through? No. One of the famous animals that they really had almost elevated in Egypt to a godlike status was the crocodile. And so this little girl who I would suspect is somewhere between five and ten, I can't imagine a, a mother sending a three-year-old out to wade in the river to watch a baby child. Got to be somewhere I would tend to think really five to ten is out wandering among the, the, the weeds and the reeds in the river where there could be crocodiles. So the first exposure we have to Miriam, she's in the river watching her baby grow. Pick up again. She is on site in the neighborhood when Moses is found in the water by Pharaoh's daughter. The child is found by Pharaoh's daughter, but Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have any way to feed the child, to nurse the child. So Miriam, very courageous here for a little girl, goes up to the, the retinue, the group of Pharaoh's daughter to suggest how this child might be nursed. Then his sister, we still don't know her name, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Very, very smart little girl here. Very, very smart little girl. 
So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, why is this such a smart thing? Mom gets to continue, you know, interacting with and loving on and raising and, and nursing her actual baby. Pharaoh's daughter has the problem solved of how do I feed this child? And all because of Miriam being on the spot and a quick thinker, even when exposed to danger in the weeds and reeds along the side of the river. So Miriam watches over Moses and Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. He appears to stay in the palace a lot, growing up as you know, Pharaoh's, as it were, grandchild in the palace. We are told this is 40 years, only because Moses' life gets divided into roughly three 40-year periods. Where is Miriam during this 40-year period? Well, she doesn't stay in the river for 40 years. After Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh, I mean, Moses goes and lives where? In the palace. In the palace. What's Miriam doing for these 40 years? The people of Israel were slaves. So for this 40-year period where Moses is in the palace, Miriam, along with every other Israelite in Egypt, is working to one extent or another as a slave for 40 years. Miriam works like a dog while Moses is enjoying relative peace and prosperity, as it were, over in the mountains. Where was Miriam? She was working as a slave. Picking up, this again is several years later in the life of Moses, Exodus 2, 11 through 15. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, struck down the Egyptian, killed him, hit him in the sand. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. This, of course, is uh, the, the big scene in the Ten Commandments movie where his name, Moses' name, and he moved it, it's, you know, scraped and erased from all the monuments and statues, and he's sent out to go die in the desert by Yul Brenner, uh, Pharaoh's, other, Pharaoh's other son here. He runs away from Egypt and lives in the land of Midian, and according to the Bible, this is a second 40-year period that Moses is over in Midian, where he meets the young ladies who have brought their animals to the watering place and it helps drive off people who are harassing the young women, marries into a family, starts being a shepherd himself and all sorts of things. 40 years, how old is Moses probably at this point by the time this is coming to an end? 80, two 40 year periods, 80 years old. Where is Miriam when Moses is 78? 79 years old. She's still back in Egypt. What's she doing in Egypt? She's still working as a slave. Moses grew up in the palace, 40 plus, 40 or so years in the palace, gets run out of Egypt, goes over to Midian, marries, uh, 
in the scene in the movie, right, there's these you know, very lush tents that they're in, and, you know, he's married, he, uh, working as a shepherd, great deal of freedom. Where's his sister? Where's his brother Aaron? If we're focusing on his sister. She's still a slave in the land of Egypt, 80 years now. 80 years. Let's pick up over in chapter 13. This is after Moses has seen the burning bush, after God has sent them, and Moses does his best to object, saying, I'm really no good at this, I can't speak, uh, you really don't want me, I don't want to go. I mean, any, any excuse he can imagine he's trying to come up with, it seems. He goes and speaks to, uh, to Pharaoh, his brother is his mouthpiece. When Pharaoh eventually lets the people go, because of that tenth plague where the firstborn of each family in the land of Egypt would die. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way to the land of the Philistines. That would have been up along the ocean coast of the Mediterranean. It kind of curves away from Goshen in the land of Egypt, up along the coast, and you get to the land of Israel, the promised land, the land of Canaan, very quickly. God doesn't lead them that way, although that was nearby. We read here in Exodus 13. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. When they get to the land of promise so quickly and they see they're going to have to fight to get a lot of these people who are already there out, they may say, you know, I don't want to go and fight. We're going to head back to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness down toward the Red Sea of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle, but down toward the wilderness. You know, the irony of this is that they constantly, during the time they're in the wilderness, want to go back to Egypt anyway. So whether God had led them up the easy way toward the land of Israel, and they, God said, you know, they may want to go back to Egypt, they did anyway. And when they see the land, they get a preview of the land, they don't believe they've been taken. Different sermon to talk about these, how do people trust God and how do people often respond to God. But God leads them out of the land of Egypt. After all the plagues, he leads them out of the land of Egypt. Moses is in the front. Where is Miriam? Somewhere, somewhere in the back, in the pack. She's in this group, but this Sister of Moses, who helped him survive, I mean, God's providence certainly worked, helped him survive by watching him in the reeds alongside of the river, enabled his mother to nurse him and care for him for we don't know exactly how long, a lot longer than she was going to get, who worked as a slave for the 40 years that Moses was in the palace, who worked as a slave for the 40 years Moses is over in the land of Midian, is somewhere in this group of people, this large group of people that God, using Moses, has led out of the land of Egypt. She's there, but she's still fairly invisible. Still fairly invisible. Until right after the time when God has delivered his people. She pops up here in Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18. After a long song of Moses, which is the preceding uh, set of verses here in Exodus 13, look what we read, 17 and 18. Then Miriam the prophetess, fancy hard way for me, 
of saying a female prophet, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. After their deliverance at the Red Sea, they're backed up against this Red Sea. They can't cross. Pharaoh's armies are coming. God parts the waters of the Red Sea so they can walk across on dry land. Pharaoh and his armies say, we can do that too. They start following, and as soon as they all get out in there, God just pulls his power back and whoosh. The armies are destroyed while the children of Israel are safe on the other side. Moses gives a great song of celebration, praising God. Miriam, with all the women, sing praise to God for their deliverance here as well. Last time I asked this question, where is Miriam now? Now she's a prophetess. She's a female prophet. And a prophet is a spokesperson for God, someone who is speaking the message from God. She's speaking to all the women and everyone hearing her, leading the women to sing to God. We, we might say, in, in many ways, she's finally here. She's been here all along, but all of her days as a slave are finally over, and she is using her talents to help praise God and to lead the other ladies in praising God. <clears throat> then we get to Numbers 12. The next time Miriam shows up, Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman that he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? This is a very important lesson right here because look at that next phrase, and the Lord heard it. The next time any of us are ever tempted to say some secret that we might have promised not to say or to say something bad, evil, or unkind about somebody else, hey, did you see what? Look at that phrase. The Lord heard it. God hears everything. You can't say something in secret that God isn't aware of, so why do we keep fooling ourselves into thinking that we can? Now, what's this all about? This is the first time we hear about Miriam, the next time after that song. What's the deal? Well, Cushite is the same thing as Ethiopian. Words are interchangeable, and it means black woman. Moses had married a black woman. And we're told, look again at Numbers 12, we're told twice why Miriam and Aaron are fussing at Moses. For he had married uh, because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. What's happening here? If I want to know why this is occurring, there's a strong, strong reason to conclude God said it twice. They are upset and they're fussing at Moses because he had married a black woman. Now, a number of people, my white brothers and sisters, 
have kind of let that slide because it was unclear to many or some that this is a black woman we're talking about. It is almost certainly not Zipporah. Zipporah is the wife of Moses that we hear her name. One reason it almost certainly is not Zipporah is this is something like, you know, 50, 60, 70 years after Moses and Zipporah had already been married. They had gotten married in that 40-year period when Moses was over in Midian. He had been married to her, you know, I think 30 years before they were let out of Egypt. This is a number of years into the period in the wilderness after that. It's kind of a hard thing. I'm really upset you married this woman 60 years ago. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to make much sense if it's Zipporah. Some people who study this have thought that perhaps Zipporah had died. We're not told, but maybe she had died and Moses remarried. I don't know, but the reason that we're told twice that Miriam and Aaron are upset is because he had married a black woman. So one possibility is that, for some reason, they did not like Moses marrying a black woman. Another possibility, and in some ways, I don't want to discount this one at all. After all this time, it may very well be that sibling, brother, sister, jealousy had finally reared its head. Remember all those times we asked the question, where was Miriam? Where was Miriam? We could say the same thing. Where was Aaron? They had been slaves. They had worked as slaves 60, 70 years at least, while Moses relatively had it kind of easy. And then Moses is leading the people out of the land of Egypt under, you know, under God's direction. He certainly is the focal point from the people who were there, and they may simply have finally had too much. Now, I, I don't, I'm going to ask this. How many of you have, have a brother or sister? Most of us. Most of us. Most of us were not only children. It's an easy thing to get upset at your brother or sister. If your brother or your sister ends up prospering, and you don't, or you think they get an easy path through life, and you didn't, or things just seem to go their way, or if you're younger, mom and dad seem to catch you and they don't catch your brother or sister, you can end up with this jealousy among brothers or sisters. So that's not to be discounted. After all this time, Miriam had been a slave while from afar she sees Moses in the palace. And from really afar, she knows Moses had been sent out into Midian or the desert. Possible. So it could very well be that it had been, for some reason, they didn't like him remarrying. And the focus is not so much on him remarrying or marrying here, but on the fact that she's a Cushite woman. It's said twice. If it had only been said once, I might put a great deal of emphasis on the sibling jealousy here. But it's said twice. When God repeats something, there's always a reason for it. So, look what happens. The Lord heard it, remember? Never a good thing. The Lord heard it. <clears throat> Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out here, you three, to the tent of meeting. If this happened with your mom and dad, you know, what would they have said? Get in here. I can hear it now. My dad's here. I can hear it, right? If, if you've ever grown up, your mom and dad, if they've caught you in something, it's like, get out of here. 
This is God's equivalent to that 3,500 years ago. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And he, God speaking, said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So if you, Aaron and Miriam, have been prophets, and they had, if you're a prophet and I have a message, I make myself known to you as a prophet in a dream. You see it, and then you can relate the message to others. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, not in dreams. And he beholds the form of the Lord. It's a totally different question. I don't have any clue exactly what that means. But he senses the, the reality of God more clearly than a prophet who gets a message. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He, you three are not the same, God is telling Miriam and Aaron. You're absolutely prophets. I have sent messages to you to relate Miriam to the ladies or whoever's listening. Aaron is the high priest, but you guys are not Moses. Why on earth did you think to speak out against my man Moses, God said? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. God's really upset. He departs. What happens? We continue reading. Miriam was leprous, and look at what it says, like snow. You remember the picture I had of Miriam uh, on the screen when we started? She certainly was, was more tanned, darker than I was. People in Egypt, generally speaking, are darker than I am. People in the land of Israel, generally speaking, are darker than many of us. But as you move down toward equatorial Africa, further south, generally speaking, the shade of skin that most people have is a bit darker. I've been in equatorial Africa, and I'm just saying that typically that's the way it is. Egypt is darker than Scandinavia. Sweden and equatorial Africa and Ethiopia is more south than Egypt are darker. What skin shade was Miriam compared to the Ethiopian woman? I don't know. I don't know. I don't suspect exactly the same. I suspect Miriam may have been not quite as dark or not quite as brown as the Ethiopian woman. One reason for that is look at the punishment God puts on the mirror. It's almost as if God says, you don't like the fact that my servant Moses married a black woman? How would you like to be whiter than anything's ever been before? Because she becomes leprous as white as snow. You know, we go out and see the snow, right? That's Everything's white. So whatever shade of skin Miriam had, and it doesn't matter what it was, if this is the reason why they're upset for some reason, because he married a black woman, I'll tell you what, God says, let's see how you look like really being white. And she would have been whiter than anything in the whole wilderness, right? No matter what color shirt you may have on, if you've got a white shirt, she would have been whiter. So this is almost certainly to some extent, part of the problem. Let me say as an aside over here, what does God think about who marries whom in terms of whether 
white, black, Hispanic, any of that kind of stuff. Does God care what shade of skin anybody has? No. He doesn't. How on earth could this have been missed 50, 60, 100 years ago when there were laws forbidding certain people to marry other people? Hello? One of the reasons I think this is in the Bible was speaking potentially to America a few years ago, certainly 50, 100 years ago. Marry someone who is a good person, a godly person who will help you lead a life to get closer to God, no matter what they look like. I suspect that's got to be part of the story, but don't dismiss the sibling jealousy. Right? It could go either way here. I don't understand the whiter than white if sibling jealousy is the biggest part of it. Maybe it's both, right? Rarely do we all, in fact, get upset with somebody or a brother or sister for only one cause. It's usually things building up. And they're speaking out about Moses having married this Ethiopian woman, the Cushite woman, but it probably was a bunch of stuff. She had a lot of years as a slave while her brother was not working as a slave to potentially build up some anger. Maybe it bubbled out right here. So as I say, could be any of them. She has to go outside of the camp for a week and it's, it, it goes away. So she's, she's taught to not be quite as uh, upset about Moses. So let's look at that last verse right there. Numbers 20, a few chapters later is the last time we read of Miriam while she's alive. The people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried. So she's only mentioned a few times, right? What lessons can we learn from this woman that I'm going to call a hero? Let's take a look at a couple of lessons. First of all, Everybody, especially younger people, have courage like Miriam. For a little girl, couldn't be much more than 10 years old, I suspect a little younger. She displayed incredible courage and boldness by approaching Pharaoh's daughter by finding someone to nurse her baby brother Moses. Can you imagine what that would have taken? I've seen some younger people who you know, don't want to talk to an adult and all that kind of stuff. And so here she goes to the daughter of Pharaoh to say, would you like me to find a nurse to take care of the child? I believe this had not been said yet, but she certainly lived this out. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Be a good sibling. Have courage. Be a good sibling. Have courage. In the second place, be a leader like Miriam. She was a leader. Leaders do not sit back and watch. You don't lead from everybody else out in front doing all the stuff for you. You've got to be in front to be a leader. She led the women in song and praise to God. She was someone that others certainly wanted to be around to follow. When I look and interact with other people, am I someone that others want to be around and follow? Would I be considered a leader the way Miriam was? Or am I bitter or worse, bossy or passive and just let other people make sure things happen? 
That was not Miriam. She didn't simply accept that her brother's going to float down the river in whatever circumstances is in God's hands. Instead, she watched and took action when she saw Pharaoh retrieve, Pharaoh's daughter retrieve Moses, the basket from the water. Be a leader. Be courageous. Be a leader. In the third place, use your gifts the way Miriam did. She discovered that she had been given the gift of prophecy. And she used this gift to help lead the Israelites to the promised land along with her brothers, Moses and Aaron. She had a willing servant attitude. It's a shame Numbers 12 is one of the more prominent stories about Miriam because that's a tiny, small uh, set of circumstances in her entire life. She seems to have lived to be somewhere in the neighborhood herself of 120 to 130. That's a long life to only focus on one mistake that she made. It's an important mistake we can learn from. That's why it's there. But she had a willing servant attitude. The Lord has given you gifts. The Lord has given me gifts and wants us to use them to glorify Him just like Miriam did. So, what gifts has God given you? You might think, well, I don't have gifts. God hasn't given me anything special. Yes, He has. If you don't know what that is, that's job number one, is to figure out what God has given you as an ability or a gift and find a way to use it. It may simply be inviting people to come to church with you. That's a very important gift. Inviting people to come and find out more about God. There, in some ways, there's no more important gift than that. We all have been given gifts over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Do you notice what Peter does not say? Some of you may have been given a gift. And if you have, use that. He says each of you should use whatever gift, not if you've been given, each of you should use whatever gift God has given you. What gift has he given you? What gift has he given me? Whatever it is, use it. Just like Miriam. In the fourth place, be a blessing for the future like Miriam. She was strong in her faith. The Hebrew tradition about Miriam says that women, including Miriam, passed on their faith to their children. If you've had children, if you've been in a family with a mom where they were religious and they came to church, moms do a whole lot of the religious instruction. Talking about God and talking about things in the Bible. That is not something different than it was 3,500 years ago when Miriam was doing this. Miriam also taught other women about the law. She does it in a song, and the rabbis believed it wasn't a one-time event. Her teaching of other women would have been instrumental in allowing those women to pass down the story and the knowledge of God to their children, generation after generation after generation. Faith begins in the home. Am I demonstrating my faith in Jesus in the home, in my house, to my family. Children are much more likely to model behavior than they are to act on their words. And as a parent, that has always been terrifying to me. It's, you know, don't. But if they see me doing it, which one's going to be more powerful in my children? Really a bad thing when you know you've got some kind of flaw or fault. And you first see it show up in your children and know they saw me with that fault. Live out our lives in our love for God, 
make sure our children see that. Am I blessing other future generations by teaching others about God? I hope so. Miriam, the hero in so many ways. The last mention of Miriam in the Bible itself is all the way over in the book of Micah. That's some 700 years, more or less, after she would have died. And look what Micah says. This is God speaking here. Speaking to the children of Israel. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you three people, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. 700 years later, God is still holding out these three, not merely Moses, because God had a job for all three of these. Moses as the leader, leading them out, being in charge. Aaron as the high priest. Miriam? We're not told nearly as much, but I absolutely believe she's called the prophet, the female prophet. She was teaching others about God and encouraging others to live their lives for God among the women and anyone who would hear her. God sends what and whom we need when we need it. Just as he said there in Micah, I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I sent these people to show you the way. The most important person God ever sent was his son. And he sent his son to show us the way. Thurl had a verse where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man, no woman comes to God, comes to the Father, except through me. That's absolutely true. If you're not a member of God's family, the only hope you have of going home to be with God is to change that. I'm a member of his family. You do that by understanding your sinful condition, understanding the only hope you have is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which will want, make you want to change your life from living for yourself to living for God. And it is sealed by being buried in the waters of baptism, really to reenact Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but to also make it plain to each of us that now that I am a member of God's family, I have had to die to my old way of living, and when I'm raised again, I have to be a new person. If that's not you, it needs to be. You're already a member of God's family, but like Miriam and Aaron, both of them, made a mistake. Good news is, is that no mistake needs to stay a mistake. We can come to God in prayer and ask for forgiveness, and He will graciously forgive. A broken and contrite heart I will not despise, we are told. But if you have any need whatsoever this morning, if we can help you in any way, please, please come as we stand inside.